This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Do you know when it is fun to wear a mask? Halloween. I am a kid when it comes to Halloween. Like, I cannot wait for Halloween every year. And I just geek out with my girls and think, okay, what are we going to be able to do? And so I love being a pirate for Halloween. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago when we kicked off the series, you're like, yeah, that's because you got issues, Joel. But I love being a pirate for Halloween. And so I had this awesome pirate costume when we were living in Canada for all those years. And unfortunately, we had to get like uh, ruthless with bringing stuff back. And so my pirate costume didn't make it. But this was me one year with our family. Here, here's another one with us as a family. Like you can just see this is, I would wear this every year because it was so much fun. <laughs> unfortunately, it didn't make it with us. So this year, Christy and I got creative. And so for Halloween, we were Ghostbusters. So that was a fun time together. And yeah, I, what I love about this is like, like, I know it's not real, but for one day I have permission as a grown-up to play make-believe and to pretend that I get to be this awesome pirate or this cool ghostbuster or whatever it is, because it's fun to pretend sometimes, isn't it? But it's not always fun to pretend, right? Like, you know when it's not fun to pretend? Like, it's not fun to pretend when you find yourself wearing the mask of who you want to be, but you're wrestling with trying to actually be that person. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I have this deep desire to be a good husband, and I know how to put the mask on, but sometimes inside I'm like, I'm just a selfish man. Like, I I remember when Kristen and I were dating, I kind of thought I was a good catch, (laughs) and then we got married, and I suddenly realized, I've got some issues. I'm a selfish man. Like, I have a desire to be a good dad to my girls. And and there are moments where I shine, but there are moments where I don't. And I wrestle with this this, this wearing of a mask. And and there's just moments in life where we can feel like that. Do, Do you know what I'm talking about? How about when it comes to this journey of faith, of following Jesus? Do you ever feel like you're wearing a mask? Like, like, you know the good that God is calling you into or he puts in front of you. You, you know the shoulds, but there's still that wrestle in yourself with the things that are, that's going on in your story. Like, like, like I, I, do you ever just have that pull towards stuff that's not good or healthy, and you're like, where is this coming from? And if they knew, would I even be allowed to show up here or hang out with these people anymore? Like, we can all wear these masks, and, and it can own us at a certain point in our story. There's a technical name for this. It's called imposter syndrome. It's that feeling you have that that you have to present something that that, that you're trying to be, but you're not really sure if that's who you are. And you wrestle with that, trying to to live up to something within yourself. And and it's so easy to fall into that in the journey of, of life and then step into the context of trying to figure out what it means to be church. And sometimes we feel like we have to double down and play the game even more and present a version of ourselves like that's not always true. And, and it doesn't always lead to good places. It leads to ugliness when we, when we fall into this. Like it, it leads to secrecy in our own story. It, it leads to carrying this thing called shame. Like how many of you got a backpack full of that? And it, it can oftentimes just lead to shallowness. Like, I, I don't know, I've been, I've been around the church scene for a long, long time, and I know that we are really good at playing it safe and shallow. 
Like, I don't know if you've ever, like, like, shown up in a context and everyone's like, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. We're all great. It's amazing. We're all great for this one hour on Sunday. And I wonder if, if, if there's something better that we could hope for. Like, if the person that we actually long to be, if that's actually possible, to figure out how to become that person. Because I, I know that, that, that I have good in me and in my story, but I know I wrestle with some dark stuff. And sometimes the darkness seems to win. And I'm wondering, is there the possibility, is there the hope that I can become the person I'm longing to be? Because I don't know about you, I don't, I don't show up here just to be a part of a Sunday social club. I come here because I'm looking for something more in my story. And see, I think one of the reasons we wrestle with this, one of the reasons we struggle with this is because I, I think that we have what I like to call an empathy problem. Do you know what empathy is? Like that ability to identify with someone with where they're at in their story. Like here's the technical definition of empathy. It's the psychological identification with or vicarious experiencing of the feelings, thoughts, or attitudes of another person. If you don't know what those words, get a dictionary. Sometimes you need a dictionary to define the words in the dictionary. It's always fun, right? But like, here, here's like this technical definition of empathy. And I think, man, if we could figure out how to do this for one another, I think that would be a really beautiful world that we could live in. There's a, a very popular thinker, teacher, speaker, writer named Brené Brown, and she has done a lot of work in this arena of empathy in the last 10 years or so. And, and she articulates what would be four steps in learning to practice empathy. So here's Brown's four key steps to practicing empathy. The first would be perspective taking. That's putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Right? Have you ever heard that phrase, like, don't ever judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes? Like, that's the idea, right? Another one, the second would be learning to listen without judgment. That is hard, isn't it? Like, I think one of the greatest gifts we can give another person who's risking telling you their story is to simply not flinch. I don't know if you've ever been sitting down with a friend and you start to share and they're like, what? Like, that never goes well, right? Like, never mind, just kidding. I was talking about someone else. <laughs> the third step is recognizing emotion in another person you may have felt yourself. Like, I may not actually know your story, but I, I get that. Like, I, I felt what you're describing. And then the fourth step is reflecting that you recognize that emotion. Like, that's the concept of me too in the best way. Like, I remember when I was in university and just working through my own issues of, of lust and stuff like that, and then talking with some good friends, and they're like, oh, it's not just me. Other people struggle with this thing called lust too. Whoo! I thought I was a weirdo. I mean, I'm still a weirdo, but I mean, like, now I'm with a group of weirdos, and we can figure this out together, right? Like, like if you've just ever come to that moment where you're like, it's not just me? Wow, there's something powerful in that. And see, this empathy that, that if we could learn to do this, I think it would be such a beautiful thing. But when I say we have an empathy problem, I don't mean simply that we need more of this, though I think that would be really, really good. When I say I think we have an empathy problem, I mean this, that, that there's a popular belief in our culture today that if we could just somehow figure this out, that would be enough. Hmm. That empathy in and of itself would be enough to lead us into the life we're longing for. 
But see, as beautiful as empathy is, and as important as it is, it is no guarantee of actual change or transformation in our story. Because here's the reality of what could happen. You and I could sit down and start to share our story and find out that, that we wrestle or struggle or have darkness or whatever in the exact same way. And we could go, yes, I'm not alone. You feel that way too. Me too. And then we could just sit down in our respective muck and mire, commiserate together and stay there. That would be so tragic, wouldn't it? I mean, at least I'm not alone. Sucks to be me too. You, yeah, yeah. And we could just stay in that place and never get out of it. How many of you have weird dynamics in your family of origin? Yeah. If you brought them today, you probably shouldn't have raised your hand. But have you ever noticed, like, sometimes you have visions of the holidays? Oh, it's going to be great. And then you show up and you're like, it happened again. It's because we're in the dynamic, right? And it's hard to change the dynamic. And as much as I could try to empathize with my siblings or my family, like, what's going on? It's like, here we are again. Happy freaking Thanksgiving, everybody, right? Like, like, that's just what happens. And so empathy is a beautiful thing, but on its own, it's no guarantee that we will actually experience the change we're longing for. Which is why when, when, when Jesus shows up, I'm so grateful that he doesn't simply stop at empathy. That Jesus actually goes beyond that to help bring us the hope of change that we would want. Like when Jesus actually shows up, he doesn't simply have mere empathy. He goes beyond that and offers us this beautiful thing called compassion. Here's the definition of compassion. Compassion is a deep feeling of sympathy or sorrow for another person who is stricken by misfortune. That's the concept of empathy. But compassion actually goes beyond that because it's also accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. That's why what, what just happened with the Thanksgiving challenge wasn't us simply having empathy on people in our, in our context here in Sonoma County. We had a desire to have compassion. And so Christy said we blew the number of 500. Ron was telling me we're about 800 families that we're supporting as a church. Right? Because that's an expression of compassion. Empathy would be like, oh, that's so hard. You're hungry? I get hungry too. But compassion goes beyond that. And you see this in Jesus' life time and time again when he would show up and be moved on behalf of people and be on behalf of us. There's this beautiful story. You can read for it. You can read it yourself in Mark chapter 6. But Mark's account of the life of Jesus. Jesus is, is hanging out with his, his friends. And it's a really hard season for them. He, he just found out his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed. So he's grieving his own family tragedy in this moment. And they had just done some amazing ministry. And everybody is super tired. And so Jesus gets his core followers around him. And he's like, hey, let's just get away by ourselves. Let's go to a quiet place. It's time to rest and rejuvenate. Like he's basically calling, let's go get some mani-pedis and have a retreat, guys. Because it's been a, a tough time. And then in the very next instance, the crowds had found them once again. And they're all flocking around them. And we're, we're told that Jesus sees them. And he's filled with compassion for them because he sees that they're like a sheep they're like sheep without a shepherd and in that movement of compassion towards them he begins to reach out and help them and you know what we're told he does to help them we're told that he begins to teach them which you would think well jesus why don't you do something like do more healing or or feed them once again and yet Jesus' response of compassion to this crowd that's like a sheep without a shepherd, is to actually teach them because Jesus knows if I can give them the truth of who I am, 
if I can help them see the reality of God, that will lead them into the life they're longing for. It's why Jesus says to us, say, if you will hold to my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth is what will set you free. See, love paves the way, but truth unlocks the door. And that's why Jesus is full of grace and truth. He comes with both. And in this moment, he's offering them. And this is why I'm seriously interested in this person, Jesus. Because as he shows up in my story, not only does he have the ability to empathize with me, he took on our skin to walk with us and experience life with us. But he goes beyond just mere empathy, and he actually wants to lead us into the life we were created for. That's why Jesus says, I've come that they could have life. I've come that you could have life and have it to its fullest. And so when Jesus shows up, here, here's my question for Jesus. Jesus, can, can you help someone like me? Like, like, can you actually begin to show up in my story and do something for me? That, that, can you actually help me become the person I'm longing to become? And I think Jesus' response would be, I was going to say, hell yeah, but maybe not in church. But I think Jesus' response would be, yes, absolutely yes, I can help you. Because here's the deal. Jesus didn't come to start some new religious movement. Jesus didn't come just simply to say, I feel your pain. Jesus came to do something for us. You know why Jesus came? He came to fulfill God's promise of rescue for us. Do you know when God made this promise to us as a human race? The very beginning story, you read the book of Genesis, and you see that God created us and put us in this beautiful place, and we were meant to reflect him and and walk in relationship with him and with one another. And it was so great, we were naked, and it wasn't weird. And then we heard the voice of a deceiver, and as a race, we listened to that, and we didn't trust God, and sin entered the story, and everything breaks and falls apart. And then as God shows up, and he's like, hey, what what happened? And, And Adam steps up to the plate and says, it was her who you gave me. So he's actually blaming God. And then he's like, well, now I'm screwed. You blame me and God. So snake, it was the snake. And God says to the serpent, who was Satan in, the, in there at, in some way, like, okay, here's the consequence. And yet in that moment, in Genesis chapter 3, God promises to send a rescuer who will crush the head of our deceiver. He'll be struck himself. But in the very beginning, God promised, I will not abandon you in this mess. I'm going to work throughout the story to bring life. And that's the story of the Bible is leading us to this person, Jesus, who shows up. Because long before Jesus showed up, God made a promise. And I love what he articulates about this promise in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. God's promising to his people who are struggling to just figure it out. He makes this beautiful promise. He says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. You know what that's called? Good news. Because I don't know about you, but when I hear the concept of a stony, stubborn heart, I'm like, that's the people I know. And that's me. And the fact that God could show up and begin to do something in me. And so his promise is this. And I will put my spirit in you. So that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. This life I've called you to. 
I will work within you to actually empower you so you can become the person you were meant to be. And see, that's what Jesus came to do for us. That's why Jesus promised us that he would send his Holy Spirit to come into our lives. The Holy Spirit would move in and do life with us and whisper hope and give us what we don't have on our own so we could step into the life we were created for. Because God desires to bring us home to himself once again. Which as a church, that's our desire, that's our posture. That every single week when we gather, we're basically just saying like, welcome home. There's a God in heaven who is for you and has a life for you. So much so he sent his son into the story so that we don't have to walk through this life alone. That Jesus has come to deal with the mess and brokenness so that we could have the hope of something new because he's put his spirit in us so we could become the people we're longing to become. Oh, that's such good news. And so as a church, we've been chasing after this the last couple of weeks in this vision series, The, the Great Adventure. Realizing that when, when, when God shows up, we begin to realize that he's at work in our story. And so we've been talking through some things that, that reflect this posture and wanting people to understand who God is. And so the first couple of weeks, we've chased after these ideas that one of the greatest things we could ever hope to know in the whole universe is that you're loved. You're loved, you're loved, you're loved. God is for you. God has a life for you. And you are a person in need of rescue just like me, just like every single one of us. And so we're all in process together. Which is so good to know that you don't have to put on your Sunday best to belong. Unless you really were proud of the clothes you bought or something. But you can just come as you are. And trust that you're with a group of people that have come as we are. All chasing after the same hope. That we are loved and we're in process. But here's the thing. It's not enough if we stay here. It's never enough if we stay here. Because Jesus actually offers us the hope of stepping beyond just being in process, to stepping into this new life he's come to give us, which is why when Jesus shows up in your story, anything's possible. Think of the person you long to be right now. Do you know that the reason you have that longing in your heart is because that's the echo of who God has created you to be? And Jesus shows up and says, let's chase it together. I've put my spirit in you so I can help you become that person. This is what the first Christians experienced. Like Jesus kept blowing their mind and they're like, this is, this is bigger than we thought. And he's like, yes, because <laughs> I've come to change you forever. When I show up, anything's possible. It's why one of the early Christian leaders, Paul, we talked about him a little bit last week. Paul experienced this revolutionary transformation in his own story. Because Jesus had done a work in him, and he can't help but want to share that hope. And I love how Paul talks about this in one of his letters. And in his letters to these early Christians living in the city of Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes about these ideas. And so I just want to walk through this and look at this, because there's hope for each of us in our stories when we see what Paul's talking about here. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says this. He says, The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. 
Okay, and so, so Paul's reflecting on the story that goes way back when, when God had this prophet Moses show up on the scene, and he's like, let's get my people freed out of Egypt, and I want to lead them in the wilderness, and, and I'm going to show them what I intended for them. And so Char- Charlton Heston shows up with the Ten Commandments, right? Like, that's the story. If you don't know who Charlton Heston is, then Prince of Egypt, the cartoon. And if you don't know that, then we can... There you go. Perfect. Love it, love it. And so this is what Paul's talking about. And so if you go back in the story, Moses went up to the mountain and actually got to be in proximity to God. And when he came back down, he had a God glow on him. And the people were kind of freaked out about it. So he put a veil over his face so they wouldn't freak out. But what was going on is that that glow was fading away. But Moses would kind of keep it on because then he looked cool in the people's eyes, right? So it's kind of like he was the original mask-wearing faker, (laughs) And here's Paul saying, like, look at the, the, these laws etched in stone. They actually didn't lead us to life. It pointed out the fact that we were dead. Because think about the Ten Commandments. They're not that revolutionary. Like, don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Like, this is a guy like, hey, here's the baseline. And then the tenth one is, and don't even want to do these things. I'm like, well, now I'm screwed. <laughs> And, and the point of the law wasn't for us to somehow figure out, how do I measure up to this so I'm a good person? The point of the law was for us to say, I think I need help. Like, God, God, I, if this is the baseline, I need help. Would you help me? And so here's Paul just saying, like, listen, this is was, this was what was going on in the past. So Moses went up. People couldn't even look at his face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. So now Jesus is doing something new. So Paul says, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Like if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? And since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. I just grab a hold of that thought for a minute. Have you ever realized that when we go before God, if Jesus is a part of our story, we don't have to be sheepish? Like when, when my girls were little, before they started getting their issues and hangups, whenever Christy or I would show up and they were excited to see us, they just ran at us with everything they've got with arms open. You know, that's what God wants us, that's how God wants us to approach him. Because the reality is like Jesus has shown up, he's like, hey, whatever that's, that stuff is that you're struggling with, I've paid the price for it so I could open up the pathway so you can just go to God as you are with confidence. There's such freedom in realizing that. But God, I'm, I messed up and I've got issues. He's like, yeah, and I love you. And so Jesus is coming to the story. So get in my arms already. <laughs> He's just calling us to join him. I love this so we can go with boldness. He said, we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened and to this day, Whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. That when I put my faith in Jesus, like, I don't have to wear the mask anymore. The game is over. I've been set free. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered 
and that veil, with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. How many of you want some freedom today? Yeah. His name is Jesus. And he will put his spirit in you and he will lead you into that freedom. So Paul goes on and he says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Do you know why you don't have to strive to be good enough? Because the Spirit of God will come into your story and empower you to be the person you long to be. That as we walk with Jesus and listen to him and follow him and let us lead us into our future, his Spirit is now at work within us, transforming us, helping us to become the people we long to be. And so in light of this hope, let's wrestle with this for a couple minutes. Let's wrestle with the implications of what this could mean for our lives as, as individuals and collectively as a church. Because here's, here's what I wonder for you. Do you realize that you can become the person you're longing to be when Jesus shows up in your story? And yet it's not a passive endeavor on our part. It's us choosing to participate with him. So here's a question. Are we going to participate with God in the work he wants to do in us? Because yes, he's the one who does the work. It's his spirit in us. But guess what? We get to participate and cooperate with him along the way. And you know how you participate with God in the story he wants to do in your life? It's super easy. We have a posture that says, yes. God, when you show up and you stir something in me, my default operating system is yes, because I trust you. Yes, because I believe you're good. Yes, because I believe what you have for me will lead me more fully into life. And yet, what do we do when we don't feel like we have the ability to do it or even the desire to do it? Because can we get honest for a minute? How many of you have some stirring that you know there's something that God wants for you in your story, but you're like, I don't want to do it? Yeah, two of us are being honest right now. Love it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and you know what our hope is in that? Is that God, again, he doesn't abandon us even when we don't feel like we have the ability or the desire to do it. Check out what Paul writes about this, again, in one of his, his writings to the early Christians, in Philippians 2, 12-13. He says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. He, he's in prison now, and so he's writing back to them because he wants to help them. He goes, And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. He's not saying earn it. But let your life reflect the reality that you've stepped into something new. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And here's why. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's kind of like getting a suntan. Can you just make your skin get darker by willing it? Like, like Christy can because she's got some awesome Dutch Indonesian skin. So sometimes I look at her and I'm like, you're tan. What happened? But me, no, I'm, I'm a pasty white guy. But if I go stand in the light of the sun, you know what happens? <laughs> I get burnt. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> if I'm careful, <laughs> I'll actually 
tan like the SoCal boy I am. But if I just choose to sit in the basement at home, that's never going to happen. I have to actively go and put myself where the sun is and expose myself to it so that I can begin to tan. So what do we do with the things that God is stirring in us that feel like it's beyond us? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at what God calls me to, and I'm like, God, I don't know if I can do that. How do I forgive that person because they hurt me bad, God, and there's a lot of pain in my story. What do I do with this? If God's calling you to something and it feels like it's beyond you, then your best prayer is this. God, you better show up and give me the ability to do it because that ain't going to go well without you. That's a beautiful prayer. God, if you want me to do this, then you better give me the ability to do it because I need you to work in my story. So I'm going to take a step. I'm going to say yes, trusting you're going to show up. And if, it doesn't, if you don't show up, it ain't going to go well. But I trust, I have faith, so I'm going to follow you and I'm going to seek, seek pursuing this. Because God is the one who will give you the ability. And then what do we do when we don't even have the desire? Because let's be honest. There are things that God will call us to where we're like, nope. <laughs> Again, you know what we ask? All right, God, if this is truly what you want for me, would you change my heart? Like, would you tune my heart so I'm in rhythm with you? And here's the thing, when we give him permission, he will move in and begin to work in us and transform us and change us from the inside out. And that's the beautiful hope that we find because when Jesus shows up in your story, anything is possible as you walk with him and let him lead you as his spirit works within you. And yet we're all going to need help along the way with that. Like, I don't know about you, but I need people who are on the journey with me who will come alongside of me and encourage me and when needed, kick me in the butt. <laughs> because we're called church for a reason. A church is a gathering of followers of Jesus who are chasing after him, trying to share the message with everyone around them. And so here's the other question as we wrestle with the implications of this, that anything's possible when Jesus shows up in the story. So are we going to participate with God in the work he wants to do through us as his church? Yes, I got one. We're going to take the world. <laughs> because here's the reality. For those of us that would call ourselves followers of Jesus, this awesome thing he's doing in our story, it's not just for us. <laughs> it's for our friends and our families and our neighbors and the people in our city and the people we don't even like. It's for conservatives and liberals Mask wearers and mask haters. <laughs> it's for all of us. Are we going to let him use us to tell his story through us for the sake of others? Because it requires us participating. It requires us saying, I will serve for the sake of another person. I will give so we can build this church so we can reach more people. I will reach out to my neighbors and make a space for them at my table, at my home. I will go and be light to them. And when God moves, I will risk inviting them even though I look weird to them. And when I don't feel like I have the ability or the desire to do any of it, guess what I do? God, would you help me? And would you change my heart? 
God, would you show me what it looks like to actually be generous with my resources so I can help build your kingdom? God, would you show me what it looks like to make changes in my life so I have the time to invest for the sake of others? And something incredible begins to happen when we as a church begin to be in rhythm together around who Jesus is. We actually share him with the world around us. Because anything is possible when we choose to be church together for the sake of other people. And I've seen this time and time again. And if we will but respond and say, yes, there's no end to the adventure he will lead us on as his church. Because each of us has the opportunity and the privilege to change another person's life. Just like our own lives are being changed. I saw this happen with this kid, this awkward, gawky teenager once upon a time. How many of you remember being a teenager? Man, wasn't that hard? And I'm watching my own daughters navigate it now. I'm like, thank God I didn't have social media when I was a teenager. Oh, but I have an older brother who reminds me and posts it on social media. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> but I remember seeing this, this, this church that invested in the next generation. And watching is this, this, this awkward teenager who was just trying to figure out life showed up. And, and there were some leaders that were working with the youth. And they kind of rallied around this kid. And I mean, this kid, this kid was a dork. This kid had no friends in high school. This kid was, would eat in the library all by himself because no one wanted to hang out with him. But when he showed up, this church rallied around him and said, we like you. We believe God has a story for you. And these guys, Dan and Darren and Kyle, poured their lives into this kid. So much so that when he finally graduated, he felt God call him to say, I want you to go do the same for other people. And I thank God for those men in my life. Because that kid was me. And I think what, what, where my story could have gone had it not been for a church that cared to pour itself into me. And New Life, we get to do that. For every single person who shows up here every single Sunday. We get to do that for the people in our city. We get to do that for the people that we don't even know yet. When we choose to be church together for the sake of others. See, this is the greatest adventure we could ever hope to be a part of. Because not only will Jesus change our story through us, he'll let us be a part of changing other people's stories. Because that's just who God is. God is the one who creates good things. God is the one who creates life. God is the one who calls us into life. God is the one who puts his spirit in us and transforms us and changes us so we can become the people we're longing to be, so we can be people that reach out to other people. That's just who he is. The question is, will we join him? And will we be a part of the adventure with him? And so let's pray right now with hands open that God will do two things. As a church, God will give us the desire and the ability to become who he has called us to be. So Father, we're here with hands open our posture is yes. 
So whatever you have, whatever you want, whatever you're stirring, give us ears to hear and courage to respond. And if we don't want it, would you give us the ability to tune our hearts to you? And if it's beyond us, oh God, please let it be beyond us so it's not just us. Give us the ability to do it. Because you are the one who changes everything for the good. So let us be your church. Let us be your people. Let us be the ones who will go out and make you known through our lives and our words so others could know that they are loved and that when you show up, anything is possible. And would this song become our prayer to you in this place together? Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.